Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com slash connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hey everyone, and welcome to another podcast. I'm Maria Geffers. And I am Tom Geffers from Career and College Counselors. And today we have the opportunity to speak with uh, Dan Herzberg from Optimum Educational Solutions. Thanks, Dan, for being with us. Uh, we, we always start off our podcast. We want to know who you are, what you do. What was your aha moment that was so important that you decided to do this? You know, because obviously this is a passion of yours. So tell us all about you, Dan. Yeah, well, it, it, I've had kind of a, a unusual route to what I do. Um, so I, I originally, when I was, when I was an undergrad at UC Berkeley, I wanted to be an English professor. And I, you know, went through, I found the number one English department in the U.S. and decided that's where I'm going to get my degree from. And um, I also got, studied film and Spanish. And by the time I finished my degree, I no longer wanted to be an English professor or a filmmaker. And so, you know, it put me kind of like in a bit of confusion for a couple of years as I explored lots of other careers and traveled around the U.S. and Europe. And, and um, uh, I went back to school to study pre-med. I decided I was going to go into medicine. And uh, I, I invested three and a half years doing a second bachelor's degree in pre-med studies, minors in chemistry and Spanish. And by the time I finished my pre-med degree, I realized I no longer wanted to go into medicine. And, um, it, you know, I, I sort of looked back in my life and I thought, what is the thing, what, what is the underlying thread that, that has kind of supported everything that I've always done? And what I didn't realize was that I'd actually been tutoring ever since I was seven years old. <laughs> Right. So I actually have been tutoring. I tutored uh, Jenny down the street on her time staples, you know, back when I was seven years old. And I've, I actually tutored and taught all the way through high school, college. Um, you know, I, 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 I taught um, internationally ESL. I, I was a ranger in Alaska. I always just had this thread of teaching was kind of running through everything. And that's how I actually managed to go through school and not accumulate more debt was I taught my way through. So. I kind of realized eventually, like I really am kind of born to do this kind of work, this one-on-one -on -one direct work with kids. And then I also asked myself, what is the place where I can make the biggest impact in someone's life? And, you know, I, I looked at different age groups. 
different where, where that would hit and what and specifically what areas and so very kind of analytical approach but basically you know I kind of realized that if I wanted to have like a big impact in someone's life I had to work with them at the point when they were starting to really make decisions for themselves that would have a lot of leverage and in, in, from that place and so I I just kind of threw myself into um, uh, tutoring and eventually college uh, coaching and consulting and things related to that. And that's really what I've been doing for most of my career. I'm 53 now. And so all those changes happened when I was about 27 years old. So this has really been kind of what the, and I actually did graduate, I went on to go do graduate studies, specifically looking at school social work and psychosocial development and all these other areas. So um, the other thing that I realized is that I'm really good at taking tests. So as I worked with, I worked with a number of uh, kids with the SAT and the ACT, I started to realize that um, uh, I, I, I get kind of obsessed with this kind of stuff to a degree that most people never really ever want to spend more time with than they, than they need to spend. So I've studied over 30 different SAT and ACT curricula. I created my own curricula because none of them were good enough. Um, I, you know, and I, I would say that I've effectively memorized over 50 to 60 full length SAT and ACT exams over the past 28 years. Wow. So, um, <laughs> it's just something I've gotten kind of obsessed with in terms of, of doing this because I do find that there's a lot that goes on with the SAT and the ACT in terms of like just the importance of them, the impact that the process of doing, going through the preparation, the results, the, the opportunities that it opens up. And that's really kind of what has kind of narrowed me down on like focusing on, on test prep. Why I work with so many kids on that. What a great background and a wealth yeah. of knowledge that you can actually speak to any student right. with any of their interests, which is really a blessing, if you will. Well, there's a whole slew of tests out there, uh, including the subject test, the AP test, and kids are seniors, the SAT, ACT. What do you consider the most important test for college admissions? Well, um, first of all, let's talk that the, the subject tests are really no longer relevant anymore. They've kind of taken those off off the plate. Um, it, the the SATs and ACTs are effectively interchangeable. So there's only one college that I know of that likes just the ACT, and that's BYU. Every other college in America, and there's about a little over four thousand colleges, they pretty much will all look at the SAT and the ACT equally if they if they accept it for admissions. And then the APs carry a lot of weight. In fact, they literally direct college credit if they if they score well on those. So um, the one thing I would say is that of all the different tests, though, the SAT and the ACT are um, the tests that carry the most the most uh, leverage and weight in in the process because if you think about the time involved that most kids spend in high school. So the grades that count towards college admissions would be like sophomore and junior year grades, right, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, senior year grades fall if the schools have time to include those in admissions, but they're really looking at sophomore and junior year grades. On average, kids spend about 2,000 hours per year going to school in each school year. So that's about 4,000 hours. If you factor in homework at a minimum, that's probably another 500 per year at a minimum. Um, so really kids spend about 5,000 hours preparing their academic profile for college admissions. Now put that relationship to like SAT and ACT prep, like what, so, um, colleges are looking at their grades and their test scores for those schools that take both of those and they're looking at them side by side, right? And they're trying to find out, did the school inflate the grades or not, right? Mm -hmm. Did they deflate the grades? And so the SAT and ACT are a really important metric for the colleges to evaluate where somebody's GPA really stands. Well, if you spend, we'll just say on the outer end, at the extreme, 
50 hours preparing for the SAT, that would still be one one hundredth of the time you spent academically preparing for things, right? So if there's one place where you could put a little bit of effort in and get a huge result out when it comes to testing, it would be the SATs and the ACTs because it's like a hundred to one ratio, basically, even even conservatively calculating it. All right. Now, there's been a whole bunch of talk about test optional, test blind. Mm -hmm. And I see a week or two ago, we saw a story about MIT is now requiring the SAT. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, which is, which is what we like to hear, you know, yeah. rather than being in limbo here. Right. We always tell our kids to you know, take the test. You might need it, you might not, but at least you have it. So what, what do you see, what do you hear about test optional in that direction and where it's going? Well, I work with kids nationwide, but I'm here in California. And the California public schools, the UCs, the uh, CSUs, the Many colleges don't look at it. They basically made the decision to no longer look at the SAT and the ACT. I think that's for now. That will probably change in time because they've relied on these tests over the years for admissions. And the actual discussions they had about abandoning the test uh, were not very, in my mind, substantive. So I think they may go back and revisit it again. But again, there's over 4,000 colleges in America. And far and away, the majority of colleges will allow for, for the test. The UCs are test blind. There's about 1,400 colleges that are test optional, and then the remainder want to see the tests. So test optional to me is kind of a misnomer. It's sort of only optional if you, really, if you, if you, um, you know, don't really want to go to the school <laughs> that you're applying to, in which case, you, why would you be applying if you don't want to go to the school? So um, they're getting more and more applications than ever, and uh, just coincidentally, the schools that say that they're test optional, they, they generally still report their there are statistics on SAT and ACT prep to like U.S. News and World Report and for other other guy, other publications that uh, look at uh, school ranking. And somehow, magically, they still all have great test scores. Mm -hmm. right. Right? Mm -hmm. So this thing about test optional is something I think that kind of is meant to partly uh, sweeten it so that they get more applications and they look more competitive and their profile elevates as a result of that. But I think there's a general rule of thumb if it, in, when it comes to the, even this is for the overall admissions process. If, uh, if a college says that something is optional to me, that's generally code for it's required. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. That's right. how I look at it. Right. Absolutely. Do you think the COVID, um, I know I'm jumping in, but COVID-19, I know that's really done a wonderful job on the educational system, the college admissions piece. Um, just, could you just tell us uh, a very, your overview of this whole uh, conundrum? Yeah, well, I mean, again, you know, I think that it's put even more pressure on the SAT and the ACT, actually, because the, what, the, the experience that kids had in school is so variable. You know, even, at, even in the same class at the same school, kids will have very different experiences. I heard some statistics that said as many as 50% of, of, of kids were not showing up for classes mm -hmm. during, during COVID. Uh, this just means, and, and, and I personally have worked with lots of kids who will say, well, you know, that year of Spanish that I had or that, that class that I had, like, you know, we really didn't learn anything in that class because the teacher was disorganized or because no one was showing up and it was hard to keep the class paced and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of kids that just have gaps mm -hmm. in, in their academics. And, you know, what it's also meant is that a lot of kids just kind of turn to online learning to a greater extent, not even just through the regular classes, but doing things through like, you know, online schools, taking classes at community college and trying to find ways to kind of standardize their experience since the high schools have been so variable. So again, all of this kind of puts more attention and focus on things like the SAT and the ACT than ever. So 
Thank you. So if we come to you, what parents who have a kid who's a junior or whatever, and we come to you and say, uh, what should we expect when we have you as a tutor for the SAT or the ACT? Are you going to show us tricks of how to how to get through it? Are you going to do subject matter? How do you how do you uh, answer those questions and how do you do it? Well, first of all, it's very individual, right? So this is actually one of the issues is that there's going to be one place you're ever going to get help with the SAT and the ACT, or one place you're ever going to get help with tutoring in all of high school. The one place you should do it would be SAT and ACTs, and not and, and, and just recognize that it's. It's going to have such a disproportionate impact on the other things that come afterwards. It's important to get that individual help. So any program that doesn't kind of like provide that really kind of individualized attention, I think is kind of doing a disservice at this kind of important area. Um, when I work with kids, I, I always do kind of a diagnostic initially. I have them take a full-length practice test before I ever recommend any kind of course of study. So I have some kids, they do a, they do a practice test. I'm like, you just need a few hours of help. You just need to, a few little things like cleaning up around the edges. Or there are other kids that need extensive work. Right. So it's really about kind of diagnosing it. And I don't even just look at the test itself. I look at, you know, I, um, I look at the score. I'm looking at which problems did they get right or wrong? Were they missing easy problems or hard problems in the math section? What was their approach? I often interview kids and say, what were you actually thinking and feeling? What strategies were you doing when you were alone taking this test? How did you process that? And based on that, I usually come up with some kind of a specific outline for that. But typically, it might be anywhere from a few hours up to maybe 20 hours or so of time with me when I would work with them. And the other thing about that is that um, a lot of families will say something like, well, they want to have help every every Sunday afternoon for like, you know, 10 weeks. That That's the program they want to do. And I'll point out to them that it actually works better to have the instruction in the beginning a little bit more intensively. And then actually space out the sessions later on from there because that provides kids time to get the instruction and then gives them maximum time for integration, which is what they really need to take practice mm -hmm. tests, integrate mm -hmm. their knowledge, and actually ensure they actually know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So um, that's where they get the biggest gain is, is kind of – so in other words, my time with kids is high in the beginning, and it kind of goes down over time, right. whereas their time working on it is pretty level because they're getting instruction in the beginning. Over time, they're doing more work on their own. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. Do you uh, give any kind of guarantee uh, to your students? We had some students in the past who used Princeton uh, testing, and they guaranteed, what was it, 300 points or oh, something? Oh, at least, yeah, 1,000, you know, the, the kids, whole... The kids came close to it. They didn't get it. But, I mean, I don't know what, they, you know, what, they, what their money situation is with Princeton or other companies. Do you kind of give a, a, a range of what the kid can expect to increase? Yeah, well, let's talk about those two things. There's a range and also the guarantee issue. So first of all, I want to say that um, the guarantee is is a bit of a, a it's it's a bit of a marketing ploy in my in my opinion. Um, right. You can't guarantee what someone does when they test. I've done this now for for I've been in in the field for 28 years teaching and tutoring and doing all this stuff, and I know that you cannot guarantee what someone does. You can't guarantee that someone gets the right sleep. You can't guarantee that their coach won't make them stay on the field and work out till 1 a.m. because they were messing around right. um, the night before the test. You can't guarantee that they're going to make good time management decisions. A whole raft of things you can't really guarantee for. You can't even guarantee that they're going to do the things you taught them to do, right? Mm -hmm. Because right. kids do what they're going to do when they're alone. Mm -hmm. So um, I, the guarantees that I've seen in general are guarantees that if you don't do well, you're guaranteed to go through the same instruction you did that didn't work the first time. Right. Right. So I don't really have a lot of faith in, in that. What I'd rather look at is what are the numbers on the actual outcomes, right? And say each person is going to be responsible for their own sort of input and, 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 their, and their output. 
But I found that, that so the national averages that we're looking at, for example, free programs, for example, like through Khan Academy uh, for SAT prep, depending on the study that you look at, they usually get a gain of between 20 to 60 points. There have been several different studies looking at the results there. Uh, typically, that the average um, uh, SAT prep program is going to be somewhere in the range of about 60 to 100 points. It's going to be a typical return. My students tend to have gains on the SAT typically between 300 to 500 points. Wow. Obviously, if they start at a 1300, they can't go above 1600, right? But like, they usually have a pretty substantial gain that's significantly more than like a three to five x over like what it would be like the national average for that. And like for the ACTs, a typical gain nationwide is between one and two points for doing a prep program. Uh, my students typically have gains between five and ten points, wow. usually around seven points is about yeah. average. Wow. That's amazing. That's, uh, those are great numbers. Right. right. And, uh, you know, we, we've uh, seen in the past where uh, uh, certain colleges have uh, scholarships for kids with a certain SAT score. You know, over 1,200 1, seems to be the magic number. I'm sure there's other scholarships even better than if you're getting up to the 15 and 1600s. Right. But, you know, sometimes you'll have kids who are at the 1100 range or 1150, and they just can't break that number. So it, it, it's in their best interest, right. to, you know, to get a few more points and get that scholarship. Yeah. You know? Right, right. And even backing into, if you think about it, like I, I, get, I got a call from a family uh, in uh, February that said, hey, we wanted to talk to you about getting scholarships for our daughter for college. And she was a senior already. She'd already gone through the whole admissions process. She'd already selected her school. They said, well, in all fairness, we should have talked about a year or two ago, right? right? right. Because we would have picked schools that had money to give you. Right, right, right. right. As right. A, I mean, you know, 99% of the, of, the, of the scholarship money is actually awarded by the institutions, right? right? Only about 1% is separate private scholarships. The most parent families don't really realize that distinction. So the scholarship work is really done in accordance along with like the application process and school selection process and all that. Right, right. I love how you, um, your program actually individualizes, teaches strategies and skills. So it's a complete package. It's not just uh, sitting down and you know, bang, 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 which is sometimes that's what happens in a lot of the prep. And I, I really admire that you don't guarantee as a, as a retired teacher, education is, there's just no guarantee. As you said, there's just so many things that are variables that are going there. And there are some students that are terrible test takers, no matter what you do, they freeze up. So I do like that you individualize, that you show them the strategies and that you work with them uh, to overcome and teach them, you know, the different ways of being successful, giving them the confidence that they can succeed. Right. You know, as a teacher, we've all had wonderful uh, moments where we felt we made a difference. Have you ever had that happen to you? And if so, can you just give us a little bit of a uh, description of what that was? Yeah, I guess a couple of things I want to say, first of all, is that is that um, I think one of the reasons why I get different results with kids is because I look at, I look at the whole child, mm -hmm. right? It's not just a matter of like teaching strategies and gimmicks and stuff like that. You know, I think that to get there, you have to know all the, the kids have to know the content. They have to know the reasoning process and they all have their own personal quirky individual okay. emotional stuff. Some kids have dyslexia, some kids have ADD or they have time management issues or study skill issues or discipline issues or, you know, motivational issues, a lot of different things that can come up there. Every kid's different. Um, but I would say in terms of like you, I guess going back to your question in terms of like kids that I've, I've worked with, um, 
every kid that I work with is 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 a is a pretty powerful experience because, you know, I'm I'm playing a transformational role in their lives. I'm, I'll give you an example of this. So about 20 years ago, I was um, uh, actually this is going back now, but 23 years ago, I was actually living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I was working in my graduate studies, doing my, my master's, and I had this girl Liz who who came and she would. She would literally, if you know much about Michigan, it snows pretty heavily in Michigan. She would cross-country ski over to my office, and she'd put her skis outside my office. Then we'd come, and I'd work with her on SAT prep. Then she would cross-country ski back home, and she would do practice problems. Next day, she would cross-country ski back. This is over her winter break. She did this back and forth. And, and she, she did this for basically about two and a half solid weeks over her winter break. She raised her, she raised her SAT score. She actually ended up getting a perfect SAT score. She got into uh-huh. Yale. Wow. Yeah, at the time, she was just a theater kid, and she didn't have a whole lot of faith in her math skills, right? But she ended up getting a perfect score on the test and got into Yale. Now, she didn't pursue a career that really was focused on math and science, but she knew that that was an important part of what she had to know to go forward. Well, I didn't hear from Liz for a while, and um, several months ago, I was just watching TV, and I happened to be watching this movie, and the, the executive producer was her. Oh, wow. Wow. And I was like, wow. I went on to go, oh, yeah, yeah. Liz Merriweather. That's, that, that was my, I searched, I looked it up and I was like, wow, she, she's made, she's apparently one of the darlings of Hollywood right now, right? So the work that I did with her opened up the chance to go to Yale, right. which opened up the next thing, which opened up the next thing. And now she's kind of doing, in many, in many, in many views, I think, I think for her, it would be like a dream career, mm-hmm. she would, uh, being able to kind of work in the film and theater uh, space. And working in an area that she's just excelling and doing really well. And and so when I think about when I'm working with kids is it's that long-term view of like, you know, not just doing well on the test. I think about the long-term career stuff. But I also am thinking about, I mean, honestly, the image I have in mind when I work with kids is I think about they're sitting in the dorm room, their freshman year, and someone comes to them on a Thursday night and announces to them that the weekend has begun. <laughs> I, and they've got to make a decision about whether they're going to do the right thing and they're going to be disciplined and do what they have to do and be responsible for their own education or if they're going to go off and do something else, or if they're mm-hmm. going to go off and join the party, right? And, you know, I found that in life, like, one of the big things that accounts for your success is doing the right thing when no one's around. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So when people kind of integrate the stuff I'm showing them, I'm not saying, here's a gimmicky trick, follow this, follow this order technique. I'm showing them how to actually think. Mm-hmm. So they own it for themselves mm-hmm. and they can then write, eventually get to a place where they can kind of write their ticket like Liz did. Right. Perfect. I, I, want to, I want to touch on, on uh, not just math, uh, but essays. Do you, do you work with essays because they're so important now? I mean, there are essays on the SATs, I believe, or did they take those away as well? <laughs> it's changing so quickly. But do you spend time on, on coaching uh, on, on the essay portion of anything? Well, that happens to be my jam. So um, I, I have actually, well, yes. I've, I've, written, I've written a book on that and um, I've, I've worked with thousands of kids on their essays. I've worked with a little over 8,000 kids overall directly myself with, in regards to SAT prep and other areas. But with the essays, um, I actually, my, my first degree was in literature and I really believe in the importance of narrative and storytelling and also the transformational power of that. Mm-hmm. So when I work with kids, I, I uh, often will take a first glance at what they've got for their, for their essays and be like, okay, so is this going to achieve the outcome that you want? Is this going to get you into the school that you want to go to? And in addition to that, the essay should kind of talk about where they've come from in their life, where they are, where they're going. It should be like kind of like a virtual interview 
for the for the school. So it's 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 clear. So yeah, I work a lot with kids on that. And in fact, I would say uh, between test prep and essays, those two things are really the most important areas that can influence where somebody goes to college because. I've seen kids who even have everything else lined up, even with like perfect test scores and stuff like that, and they haven't had good essays. Right. And it's like shooting themselves in the foot, yes. uh, you know, dropping right. the ball on the one yard line because they just can't. And it's gonna, it's gonna be something that'll keep them from getting into right. the schools Perfect. that they want to go to. It, it, it only takes, you know, if they're looking at an application, it only takes a second to see your SAT score. It takes another right. second to see your class standing. You know, you got a four hour average, so that's two seconds, and then. You have to look at the essays, which is going to take a little time, right. which is going to tell the story, right. you know, uh, which is so important in today's Absolutely. admissions process. Right. Most kids kind of back into their essays. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They instead of instead of um, they'll say, well, you just write an essay about some experience rather than saying, what are all the experiences you could write about? Get them all out there so you can kind of see all of them, develop them, and then finally pick the very best stuff and edit it down. So think of it kind of like trying to get the raw material, like you're making a. Um, sculpture mm-hmm. cutting away all the raw stuff that doesn't belong revealing the beautiful the beautiful um you know object within right that's kind of my approach is it, and i think that oftentimes kids make editorial decisions too early when they're writing their essays and they end up with essays that kind of go off in weird directions because they don't right. take that right. seriously enough right they've never learned the skills and that's great that you uh even as adults uh people don't know how to communicate you know they just, they just don't. I mean, they, they, we've lost that whole skill and right. it's, it's very telling for our students not to be able to, to put their words and their thoughts and their feelings and their dreams into a narrative. So, yes. Sometimes they go off in weird directions too. Like I'll give you an example. I, I had a, a girl one year who uh, was very confident that her essay was great. She didn't need any help. And her mom was kind of concerned because she read it and felt like it wasn't quite tuned. So uh, she eventually showed it to me. And uh, the essay was about greeting cards, right? It was about how she liked to write holiday cards, birthday cards, things like that. And over time, her cards got more and more elaborate. They would they would go from um, being like you know uh, just you know, handwritten notes to poems to sculptures, pop out cards. Oh, they cool. got really really elaborate. And her grandmother kept all these cards on a, on a wall and on a shelf in her living room where she could see like the progress in like being like, you know, five years old to like, you know, a 17 year old, you know, wonder child who'd done all this stuff. And uh, when I read all this, I said, well, I'm kind of confused. And she said, why? I said, um, I can't really figure out what field you want to go into here. And she goes, environmental studies. And I, said, <laughs> I said, well, um, are you planning on being one of those people who does like who launches like letter writing campaigns or something like that? I mean, I'm not really getting the connection between like reading cards and environmental studies. Mm-hmm. And there was no, mm-hmm. she goes, no, I just like writing cards. Right. So, um, we had to basically start all over again. I think we kept about two sentences from her essay. <laughs> oh my Lord. <laughs> it was basically a fresh start and it was really hard for her to accept that she was on the wrong track when she was doing it. Yes, so, yes, yes. You know, that, that's the hardest part sometimes is getting over the idea that you've already invested this time and energy in, in working on it. That's why the, one of the first things we do with anybody is to give right. an assessment test, you know, because we find things that they're interested in and, and, and they might not even know it. Right. And they said, yeah, I am very interested in that and I never pursued it. So, I mean, that gets me yes, all wrong. absolutely. For, for the right major in the right school, but it's just so important. It is. You know, we could have done that for you years ago. I... You saved all that medical <laughs> training, you know? <laughs> well, that, that, it, in, all, in all fairness, I look at my own family, look at my experience. You know, my, my brother um, 
changed his major five times. Oh, Lord. He took eight years to finish it. I finished, he's four years older than me. I graduated the week before him. Oh, right? gosh. Um, but I went back and did a second degree. My sister also did a second bachelor's degree. Right. None of us got the kind of guidance and coaching and mentoring early right. on that would have made a difference. We could have saved oh. so much time and energy and money if we just got help up front. Right. And so that's partly like what drives me is trying to give back to the kids who Absolutely. have what I didn't have at that time when I, w- when I would have liked that guidance. Right, right. Well, I mean, do you have anything else? We've covered a lot of information, so much more than we usually uh, do. Um, Is there any other topic that you'd like to discuss briefly before we leave? Well, I just, I I would just say that it's coming back to just, uh, you know, the, the, with, with the SATs and the ACTs, I want to emphasize that a lot of families have a perspective, a lot of parents, they don't really know. The, the, the prep industry is kind of opaque to, to parents. And so many parents want to say that they did the best they could to really help their kids, right? And for many parents, what that means is they're busy and they want to kind of be able to check the box and say, well, I did that. I did what I could. And so when it comes to prep, you really, are, you really do get what you pay for. You're paying for, if you don't pay much, you're not going to get necessarily a large result. You're not going to get a lot of expertise from someone. The, the field is filled with people who are in, the, in doing SAT prep with kids for anywhere from three months to 12 months, mm-hmm. right? And then they go back to grad school. Or maybe they go into management with the company, but they don't really stay in the field. Right. I've dedicated my career to this, right? I've, 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 been, I've, been doing, I've been doing teaching and tutoring and educational consulting, working with kids around this for, for 28 years, right? So when I... When I uh, work with families that I'm bringing a lot of different um, perspective and experience to it. And I just encourage families to really think about anybody that they hire that's going to help their kids with SAT prep, ACT prep, uh, college admissions essays, anything in that area, because they carry so much weight and they are so important. Make sure you really do, you know, shop around, find the best providers that you can, because um, there's, there's a lot of differences in, in the industry and you want to work with somebody who really knows what they're doing. Right, and knows the knows your child holistically, as you said, right. holistically. So before we close, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, you can just go ahead and email me at uh, daniel at optimumedsolutions.com or go to my website, which is just optimumedsolutions.com. Very good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dan, for being with us. As always, uh, I learn a lot, and it's always good to talk to another educator. It's just fun to see that passion back and forth. Um, So I want to thank you, and I want to thank our listeners for another great podcast. And uh, thank you, Dan. I'm Maria Geffers. And I am Tom Geffers. And we will see you next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.